Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, it is January 13th of 2016, a brand new year. And tonight, our guest is Holly Whitaker. Uh, she's the founder of Hip Sobriety. We're going to start talking to her in just a minute. Before we uh, start that, I'm going to do a little intro here for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge lay-led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. Our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon. For more information, go to hamsnetwork.org slash book. Our guest, Holly Whitaker, is with us right now. How are you doing this evening, Holly? I'm doing well, thank you, and thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you on the show. I was looking over your blog. It's very interesting. Um, and it actually agrees with a lot of things that I've been saying for years and years now. And I'm just going to let you start talking a little bit about some of these things. Like, what do you think about the word alcoholic? Uh, <laughs> I don't like it very much. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting. It's really interesting because I do think that it does serve some purpose to some people. It did serve me. Um, it did help me for a minute, and it helped me in, I guess, really coming to terms with um, that I had problem drinking and that I had to be real about it. But um, I, I wrote a piece on this, and it's it's called, um, Hi, my name is Holly, and I'm not an alcoholic. And also it was just to make it even more sensational, I said, because um, uh, there's no such thing. And, you know, I really, I feel, I mean, I, I have, there's a lot of reasons why I started doing what I'm doing. There's a lot of backstory to it. Um, and and the, the label alcoholic is definitely not the, the meat of my cause, but I do believe it is, um, I, I believe it's a harmful term. I believe that it is something that ends up um, dividing a, a segment of people that doesn't necessarily need to be divided. I think it completely overlooks the fact that problem drinking runs a very big spectrum. And I think it also keeps a lot of people from seeking treatment in the first place. And so in that last part, that's probably one of the biggest reasons that I have such a problem with it because problem drinking can occur at any stage. It just means you have a problem with your drinking. It just means something is not right for you. It does not have to look full-blown. It doesn't have to be classified as anything other than this doesn't feel good. And because we use the term alcoholic and because it's, you know, self-diagnosed and all sorts of things, um, a lot of people, like, um, for instance, your last guest, Annie Grace, she was on my podcast last week. She had a conversation six years before she stopped drinking with one of her friends asking what an alcoholic was, even though she knew she had a concern with her drinking. And her friend, you know, essentially, you know, explained to her what her experience was. And Annie said, oh, okay, well, then that's not me. And then went on for six more years without being able to really look at her drinking. And that's like the meat of of this problem, of, of problem drinking, um, lives in the middle. You know, the end spectrum is a small population compared to the uh, amount of individuals that struggle with it. Um, and, and, you know, not only that, like so many things go along with this, meaning we don't have treatment options for people that are just struggling with it and are uncomfortable with it or starting to go down the road. And so, you know, like I equate it to what we've done, what the word really does promote is we, you know, it's like, it's like waiting for gastric bypass bypass surgery instead of going on a diet earlier, or it's waiting for the heart attack before addressing the cholesterol, or it's waiting for diabetes before arranging, you know, rearranging your sugar. It's, you know, there's just, 
it's, it's waiting until it's at the end of the problem before we actually look at it. And so that's just a few reasons I have. I probably could go on, but, um, <laughs> but well, yeah, I, it's, I um, also, yeah, I also really ahead. see it as a form of hate speech. In other words, alcoholic yeah. and addict. It's always somebody pointing their finger at somebody oh. else. You're an alcoholic. You're an addict. You're bad. You're rough. You're bad person. <laughs> Absolutely. It has so much baggage with it. There's so much stigma, especially attached to the word addict, and especially like, and then you kind of, you know, it's brother words like junkie. And what that does is it really, I mean, those words, when I read addict, and, and for a while, I my, the reason, one of the leaps for me was I was talking about being an addict, and one of my girlfriends was just like, every time you say that, it sounds like you die a little. And it was true. Every time I would say that word, I felt like I was dying a little. And it had relegated me to this other class. And so, and I think it's just, I think, I think and it's, addiction is an experience. I don't think that addiction is necessarily a label that one needs to take on in order to recover from it. And so it's just, yeah, it is. It's a really, I, I love what you said. Yeah, I feel like it is. It, it feels, it feels hateful. You're absolutely right. It does. Mm-hmm. And uh, additionally, I mean, the DSM, the manual for the for psychiatry and psychology, they threw out the term in 1980. They said, we don't like this term. It's stupid. We're getting yeah. rid of it. They got rid of it. Uh, that's 35 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just think it's anymore. popular nomenclature. Yeah, it's popular nomenclature. It's what we use in society to find a specific set of actions and, and behaviors. And it's, um, yeah, and it's and it's one of those things, too. It just, you know, I, I got a letter from someone recently that was just saying it's, you know, it's, for her, and I've had this, you know, happen to me where it's just, it's transferred to other things. Um, like a story is one time I was, I was, um, I was talking to a man that I had met that I was thinking about going on a date with and he was in recovery. And I said something about how I hadn't measured up that day in my work performance. And he said, that's your, that's your alcoholic mind talking or that's your disease. (laughs) Or that's your, that's your disease. That's your disease. And, um, which is just like, and this woman that wrote me recently was just saying, she's so sick of this spreading into every area of her humanness and that it's always her disease. It's always her, you know, her, it's her addict personality or whatever, you know, whatever it is. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I do find it, I do find it more harmful than, than helpful, much more harmful than helpful. And an interesting thing, too, is that most of the negative feedback that I get from critics, you know, when I posted that, that article, I posted it on LinkedIn, and it ended up getting um, like 40,000 reads on it. And a lot of, most of the feedback was great, but some of it was just terrible. And an interesting thing that I got from somebody who was a, he was a sponsor, he'd, he'd been in the program for years, was that, what I was doing was I was telling people that needed to be told that they, um, that they were, you know, that they were sick. I was giving them an out and I was giving them, you know, by, by removing the label, what that ends up doing is, you know, he basically said I was going to kill, I was going to kill people by, by, you know, mm-hmm. asserting that, that, that word wasn't important. And I weigh that. I do weigh that quite a bit. That one, you know, I've, I've gotten that feedback a lot, um, in terms of proportionate to, to the amount of critical feedback that I've gotten. And that one is, that one does hit a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no evidence that that is true. No one's ever done yeah. a research study <laughs> that if you tell right. someone, you know, uh, I don't like the word alcoholic and it's a meaningless word, th- there's no evidence that they're going to go out and drink. In fact, uh, uh, the people that have really adopted that identity, in my experience, are the 
they will defend it all the stronger. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, you can't tell me I'm not. And <laughs> um, Well, I do hold this line. This is what I hold in this. I mean, this is true for me. And at the same time, I do know people that do use and need the label in order for their own recovery. It is something that is helpful to them. And so, in, like, what is paramount in everything I say and everything I do is that it has to be whatever is truest to you. Now, I will argue topics and theories, but if somebody, you know, if somebody does, like my, my co-host, my podcast co-host, Laura McCowan, um, she also runs a blog, and she she uses that word, and it's helpful to her. It's helpful to her. I mean, Maybe it won't always be that way, but for her and her experience, and I'm not, you know, I'm not one to say what does and what should and shouldn't work for everyone. I think for the most part, when I, where I come from is just um, in terms of like, and in, in much more of like the grander scheme of things, I don't find it to be helpful. I don't. Mm-hmm. Well, I've also met many people that bought into the whole label, the whole disease theory, and just kept saying, well, I'm an alcoholic. I can't stop drinking. I can't help it. And, you know, and I'm diseased. Uh, And uh. actually, the only thing I noticed that was different from them from everybody else is that they drank all the time and were totally miserable about it. (laughs) Other people Uh. that were drinking all the time weren't that miserable and didn't have so much self-hatred. But, you know, lots of people buy into that and they just drink because of it. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. That I've never I mean that I'm not familiar with. That part I'm not familiar with. It. Using it as a as a as a label to enable. Um I don't have I don't well, know if I can comment on that. <laughs> I've uh, personally experienced people who were dead drunk and telling me what alcoholics they were and how wonderful AA was mm. when they were uh, dead drunk and they were like dead drunk every day of the week. Um so. huh. So, yeah, I've encountered that side. I mean, I don't want to – it's not my job to change anybody's beliefs. I mean, yeah. AA, I consider a religion. We have a constitution that says you have freedom of religion. You can believe whatever you want. You can be a Muslim, an atheist, a Christian, an AA member, a non-AA member, whatever. That's guaranteed freedom. That's your right. Yeah. If you want to choose to believe that, you know, that's not – it's not my job to change anybody's beliefs. But I see so many yeah. people – that are not helped by that and need something else, which is why I'm doing something else. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 I run that. I mean, on that, you know, it's really interesting. When I started doing this work, I, I had almost an urgency in me in order to, um, an almost an urgency to somehow stop AA. That was a really big driving factor because I'd had my own experiences in it that I, that I thought were, um, that, that weren't great. You know, now I look at it and I've really incorporated it into, it was part of what actually like allowed, it was my path. It was whatever experience I had in it. But as I have gone through this, I think one of the bigger things that um, I find to be really important in this, because I have a lot of clients. I, I'm a, I've been, a, I've acted as a sobriety coach. I run a, I'm right now I'm running an online school to help teach people um, you know, uh, about addiction and how to recover from it. But one of the things that I've really, I guess I've grown into over in my experience is, is the, the parts that, that no program I found is perfect. There's nothing I found out there. That's without, that's without, um, that's hundred percent perfect. And that there is, you know, there are aspects of AA that, you know, some of my clients work with me and I have, I would say I definitely have a harm reduction approach. Um, and some of the clients that work with me use AA and use other modalities and are able to take pieces of it because there is one big thing that AA has 
which is a huge, huge network and a fellowship and that you mm-hmm, can go mm-hmm. to a meeting anywhere, anytime. And, and people so deeply need that connection when they're going through this. And there's other parts of it as well that, you know, that, are, that a lot of people find extremely helpful. And so as I've gone through this, it, like I said, the beginning, at the beginning it was, I mean, every blog post I started to write when I first started out was, was some sort of, um, was, was to warn people off of it. And what's really changed <laughs> for me over this time is, I know, but I, but, I, but I found that was not helpful. I just wasn't. I mean, I've read some articles by, by some individuals and, and some, even some friends of mine that I just are so divisive, and that's just not like, the, I, you know, I equate it to saying, like, um, two cancer patients and one is on chemo and one's on radiation and, or maybe three and one's on, you know, holistic, and all three of their cancers are, 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 are going away and it's working for them, and they're, they're sitting there arguing that chemo is better or then than radiation or whatever, and I just, which, you know, which would never happen. We just don't run around and refute, you know, what treatments work for other people when it comes to other ailments, and so I've really, like, in, you know, as I've progressed, one of the things I think has really become important to me is, is not to tear down what works for anybody else and not to actually, like, say that that, you know, like, to, there's this great quote by Greg Williams of, of um, Unite to Face Addiction, which is, you know, we circle our wagons and we shoot in. Whereas, you know, if we circled our wagons and we just actually marched outward and, and found all the things that worked and joined together and allowed for, you know, the, you know all the people that suffer from this to find what works for them, it would be such a different story. And I just, I really, really respect that, that opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I've gone through a lot of the same evolution. I mean, when I was learning how to do harm reduction, I was volunteering in needle exchange programs, which... Uh, the great experience for me in many, many respects. But one of the things that I noticed was about half of the people that I was working side by side with were members of uh, 12-step programs, usually Narcotics Anonymous, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, and, uh, and a, you know, and, uh, you know, but they were still handing out clean needles and not uh, during the time that they were working mm-hmm. in needle exchange, they weren't preaching uh, you know, they weren't preaching twelve steps at people, so I wound up with Wonderful. actually a lot of a lot of friends who are members of twelve step groups, and we just well, we don't really talk about that because they know that um, it's not for me. Uh, my my experience uh, when yeah. I started going to AA, when I first started going, I was abstaining from alcohol, and a few months mm-hmm. later, um, I was drinking a liter of whiskey every day of the week, and uh, this is what the message of alcohol is powerful and you are powerless did to my subconscious. Uh, yeah. It, it yeah. nearly killed me. So I had to get yeah. the hell out of Dodge. I got detoxed and said, you know, I got to stay away from this because it's going to kill me. But uh, you know, it's not for me yeah. to put, yeah, it's not for me to put down what other people are doing. I mean, it's a free country. Uh, do what you yeah. want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, but I understand that. I do understand that. I love that powerless and that 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 question of of power and power and powerlessness and I um you know I, I address that when I whenever I work with I, I haven't addressed it on my blog yet and I probably should but I you know my favorite way to kind of hold on to that is you know because you're right there's just there's such there really is a, a huge huge misunderstanding I think that can be so harmful early on in recovery which is that you as an individual are powerless just you are. And um, and I think that that's such a I think one of the most important things that I've discovered and 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 so many people I know who've gone through recovery successfully have discovered is that they're really actually innately quite powerful, 
and 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 that power comes. Um, you know, for me, that power came when I stopped fucking around with oh, oh sorry, can I say sorry, I'm sorry, I guess. Sure, um, you it when, I, <laughs> when I stopped drinking and when I stopped messing around with alcohol. It wasn't a matter of me saying, like, I'm just powerless as an individual. It was more of finding, you know, finding I guess my own internal well of power rather than seeking it outside of me and trying to find power through other things like money and relationships and status and all sorts of stuff. And so I think that's such an important thing to stress, which is that humans are innately powerful, powerful things. And a lot of it we lose when we start to go outside of ourselves and look for that power. But through recovery, I I think you can completely come back to center and find that you actually are quite powerful and that you have everything that you need within you. And so that's a a really good point. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, since I work from a harm reduction background, it's – we really encourage the idea that everyone has the power to make at least a small change. Maybe you don't yeah. want to stop the amounts you're drinking, but maybe you want to stop drinking and driving because yeah. that's a really bad idea. And we can support yeah. that. Maybe you want, you've been drinking every day of the week and you say, I want to take one day of the week at least where I don't drink. And, you know, people, yeah. you know, can start, they have the power to make a small change. And I compare it to weightlifting. You know, you start with the small weights. And you keep practicing every day, and you build up to the bigger ones and bigger ones. And the more you do it, the more small changes you make, the stronger you get. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I do. You, know, you so have to start where you the, can start. That piece guy? Mm-hmm. I was going to say, tell me some more of the articles that you've written on your blog. <laughs> oh, God. I, you know, it's really funny. <sighs> I don't even know. I mean, for the most part, this is what, you know, in my experience, in my story was this. I, I you know, was, um, I was working, I had a great job. I was working, um, I was working a ridiculous amount of, of hours. Um, and I, in 2012, just started going off the deep end in a lot of different areas. And so my background was that I was working in healthcare as everything in my life was going off the rails. And that when I I was so at the end of of, of my at, at whatever my bottom I was I was putting away a couple of bottles of wine a night and I was smoking copious amounts of cigarettes and pot I was uh, I was a binger and a purger I had, had full blown um, bulimia and I also was working you know close to like eighty to hundred hours a week and. So for me, um, and then not only that, I had all this other stuff going along with it. Just my relationships were out of control. My spending was out of control. And so when I went to actually start correcting the problem, um, my my entry point into this was that I thought incorrectly so that I had developed or that I had borderline personality disorder. Um, and my entry <laughs> point into quitting drinking, well, I, I was I qualified for all of the criteria. Um, and that was the thing that really got me to actually motivated to change. And then I, I found Alan Carr's Easy Way to Control Drinking. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. Oh, yeah, I've read that. Uh, yeah, and so I, it was the only book I would have considered at the time because it was about keeping alcohol in my life. And so um, and I read that book, and it actually convinced me very quickly to stop drinking and I, so anyway, I stopped and then maybe 60 days later, I started drinking again and, um, and my life was spinning out again. And so for me, um, I started to look for, I wouldn't have gone to AA at that time. I did eventually go, but I wouldn't have. I didn't, I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like that was right for me. It was a, it was, it was a non-starter and I worked 
in a really progressive healthcare company, and most of my friends were doctors and healthcare professionals, and I had all these tools and and I had great health insurance, and um and there was really no solution for me that was that I that I could afford, and that I felt um you know really met me where I was at, and so. What I started to do is I started to piece together my own path to recovery, and I started to do all sorts of different things. Like I started to meditate, and I started to get into kundalini yoga, and I got further into vinyasa yoga. I got massages. I started to incorporate joy into my life again, and, and I did, I mean, just this acupuncture and massage therapy and all sorts of things. And I stopped drinking, you know, permanently, so I just, I just, I've been sober now for over a thousand days. I just had my thousand day mark a couple of days ago. And what I had found was I'd found all these things that really got to the root of this and that really made for not just a recovery and not just sobriety, but actually for me, it made for a really, really like good life. Um, and that all these tools then that I had learned, I was using to incorporate and to quit other things and to move out of other behavioral problems that were, you know, were uh, manifesting as addictions. And, um, for me, what uh, what was just crystal clear was that there was no, there was nothing for me, someone like me, I was, you know, a young 30-year-old, I lived in San Francisco, I still live in San Francisco, I was, a, I was young, I was um, in a very drink-centric culture, I was in a high-stress job, I was, you know, I was in this, like, I felt I was in this demographic, as, and as a woman, I felt I was in this demographic that really needed the stuff that I had found and really needed an entry point to look at drinking before it got to be too big of a problem. And um, what I I had to go out and find by myself, I wanted to somehow bring to people that I felt were in my shoes. And so I was working, like I said, in a healthcare organization, and I started putting together for some doctors that knew what I'd gone through, um, little cheat sheets on what they could give to their patients. Like, try this, try this, like, ten. here's my top ten tips for, like, how to, you know, how to how to start working on sobriety or working you know toward, with your drinking issue and um, what actually ended up happening was um, you know I I quit my job and maybe um, about a year after I'd stopped drinking not even a year and I just because I I you know for many reasons but one of the biggest things was I wanted to really put the stuff that I had learned out there and put it out there in a meaningful way so that people could not like one of the things I really wanted to do was bring you know like kind of bash the stigma around it and make it really really um, I wanted people to want what I had, you know. I wanted people to actually look at this and not look at this as a consequence, but really look at this as a privilege and really as something that they could use in order to improve their lives. Because the thing that kept me drinking for so long and that kept me from looking at it was this fear around what I would lose if I, what I would, what I would lose and how sad and pathetic my life would be and I'd be this, uh, in this other class. Um, if I had to stop drinking, like I wouldn't, you know, it would be like a consequence and a punishment. And what I had found was my life just really started to get awesome after I dealt with it and after I removed alcohol from my life. And so anyway, the main, the, the impetus for, for my blog was to, to start to make it appealing and to really like, you know, almost to, to my demographic, especially women who think that they need to go to a bar and have a, you know, a couple whiskey neats in order to fit in or, or, you know, or going, you know, their book clubs are wine drenched or their, you know, like their lives are alcohol centric. I wanted to really create this other option where it doesn't have to be that way, where actually you can have your social life, you can have all of the stuff that you had before. Um, and you can also, not only that, you can also, you know, improve your looks and you can also improve your relationships and you can also save money. And, and so what my blog really started out as was, 
you know, was sharing, uh, opening and, and raising my hand and being very public, like, hi, I'm Holly, and this is what my life looks like, and this is what I struggle with, and this is how bad it was, so that I would start to actually show women, you know, specifically women, but also men, you're not alone. And then, um, the, you know, the other thing was start to, you know, encourage people to start to look at it in a really, in, in a non-scary way, in a really modern way, in a really beautiful way, where it looks like you're going to a website that doesn't, that doesn't look like, um, you know, some sort of like, I don't know, it's just, I wanted to give them this really beautiful entry point and then also give them really good tips and tools to start empowering themselves around it and to start testing stuff out and to start thinking about it. Um, in a way that is not terrifying and in a way where it doesn't feel like you're losing anything, where it feels like you're gaining something. And so most of the, the blogs, I mean, I kind of range because I have some really severe issues. Like I have some very serious posts that I'll put out that say, you know, I have a blog that's like, here's 10 ways we can evolve Alcoholics Anonymous. Or I have a blog that discusses, um, I just recently had one that I went up that I actually took down, I'm going to put on a different site, but, um, about how instead of looking at gun control, one of the things we actually really need to dig into is what causes people to reach for violence in the first place, which is our criminal justice system and what's going on with, um, you know, how we treat addiction, you know, we incarcerate it. Um, but but I also, the site is really, really primarily um, meant to be a tool. And so I have, you know, articles on, on how to create a toolbox. They have articles on how to start learning to meditate, the importance of meditation and breaking addiction or, you know, all sorts of things. And so it's kind of a blend of making it appealing and making it less scary and really empowering people around it, allowing people to look at it before it gets to the end of the spectrum um, and giving them food for thought you know, and, and all sorts of things. But I have, I mean, I have close to 100 posts up there at this point. But it's, it ranges. It really does. There's a big, broad range of it because I, I want it to be a place where people can go and just find what they need wherever they're at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's funny how uh, you were just talking about, you know, how stigmatizing it is to say that, you know, to think about changing your drinking and yet, uh, it, it's just really bizarre that we take that attitude. I mean, if somebody says, "I quit smoking," we don't say, "Oh, you are a nicotine. You're a nicotine yeah. addict." Uh, yeah. No, so that's that's great. You know, and, and you know, why not say, "I cut my drinking in half." Oh, I mean, you yeah. should be able to say that, and you should, people should say, "That's great." Or I decided to cut out alcohol because you know. I don't like it anymore. I don't like what it does. You know, you should be able to say, that's great. Or even just, I quit drinking and driving. Oh, that's great, too. So, you know, all <laughs> these things. Why should people well, be people... ashamed of making positive changes? <laughs> well, because they feel like, because it's been, because they viewed it as a consequence. And not only that, the second that you start to say something, I mean, this is, this is, one of the one of the consequences of taking a label on and and classifying anybody as a problem drinker as an alcoholic when we when we have um when we actually start to say something like I feel like I'm drinking too much at night you know you're you're automatically classified when you the second you say you have a problem in our society because you're supposed to like this is the thing and in in um, American mm-hmm. society most Western and you're supposed to be able to drink. You're supposed to, which is like you're supposed it's ethanol. It's the same thing that we sterilize medical equipment with and the same thing we make gasoline out of. And you're supposed to be able to drink this and not have a problem with it. And it's a, I mean, it's a drug. It's a drug. It's our, it's our socially acceptable drug. And so when you, that's our belief is that you should be able to drink 
can't drink, there's something wrong with you. And so most people are terrified of admitting, even if it's a very, very, like the very beginning or if it's a very small thing. And it's not, it's not, you know, it's not I'm going to bed with wine every night. It's I'm drinking two glasses every night. Great about this. Or, you know, and there, there's a total fear around this. So the second we start to say, I have a problem, that that means I am an alcoholic and I have to, you know, go to the other side now. And I know for me, that is what kept me stuck over on the other side was I did not, I mean, I feared that I had an issue with alcohol and that it just wasn't going great for me for a really long time before I actually did anything about it. But the thing that kept me from ever saying anything about it was, I did not want to have to do anything about it because doing something about it was a very extreme thing. And so, you know, and then not only that, I think the reason that people, because it is so socially acceptable, when you tell somebody, and this has been in my experience, when I tell people I, you know, I stopped drinking, there is, a, you know, everyone's reaction to you is, is of their own making. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with their own reaction to alcohol or their own relationship with alcohol. So I've had friends before that were fine with it and could talk to me about it. And then I had friends that just explained to me why they could drink or just, you know, or I had friends that said not even a little bit or, you know, forever or whatever it is. But, you know, I found all of the reactions that I've gotten over time have just been a complete, it's just a projection, whatever that person's stuff is around alcohol or whatever their, whatever their belief system is. But you're right. It's just you, society is not really cool in talking about (laughs) alcohol in a casual way it's a very hushed like uncomfortable and um and very you know uh polarized and all sorts of things it's just we're not cool about it and in italy i I travel to italy a lot when i when i'm there you know like people aren't uncomfortable about talking i tell them what i do and and nobody's uncomfortable about it they they ask questions they talk about it they hear it you know there's a deep breath usually (laughs) That's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I spend all my time try, telling uh, people in our group to focus on the positive changes that they have made, not to focus mm-hmm. on I have a problem, because I get this all mm-hmm. the time, especially with the new people that come in, and the new people will come in and say, okay, I'm going to abstain from alcohol this week, and they, you know, they've, they've been drinking every day maybe for a long time, or at least every other day for a long time. And, you know, they abstain for three days, and then on the fourth day they drink, and they come in and say, I failed! I failed! I'm a failure! I know. And I say, no, I know. you succeeded for three entire days. That's wonderful. Yeah. You didn't fail at anything. You succeeded for three days. And now you drank uh, one day. Now you uh, can, tomorrow you can succeed again. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. That's my favorite reframe. Because there is no failure in trying something and trying something and trying something again. And there is a cumulative effect that happens. And I was just talking to one of my clients about about this. She tried for years in different reasons, different ways, and eventually it took. And not only that, everything that she, every one of those fails, she had to go through in order to get to where she was today. And you're so right. The second that we, and, and here's what's really interesting about it, the second that we, that we attempt to quit drinking, and we do fail, fine. We, we drink, we, you know, we failed, we went back to drinking. We do do that. There's nothing wrong with that. We learn from it. We learn things about what happened or why or what, what went wrong or, you know, we, we learn to prepare for that in the future. But here's the really beautiful thing. Instead of using that as, a, as evidence of anything or using that as another reason to beat ourselves up, 
we can actually use that in a moment to, like, bring compassion to this. Because when we start to beat ourselves up for for being human and for attempting something and not succeeding the first time, I mean, who, is, who attempts and succeeds a great feat the first time? It's, it's just not, that's not human. If humanness is trying and failing and trying and failing. But, like, when we actually, instead of beating ourselves up about that, we actually bring compassion to it then we start to change our story and we actually start to love ourselves so much that we don't go through the same thing. But if we beat ourselves up for, for attempting and not succeeding what we hope to succeed, then what we end up doing is we end up causing more stress, more anxiety, more shame, more guilt. And we, the way we know how to deal with anxiety, stress, guilt, and shame is to drink generally. And Mm -hmm, so it just mm -hmm, causes mm -hmm. this whole cycle and, and there's no, yeah, no, I think it's, such a great point. It's cumulative. It all adds up. It all counts. Totally right. Mm-hmm. And I'd say every day that you successfully abstain or successfully moderate or successfully achieve your harm reduction goal, whichever you're shooting for every day, you yeah. have that day forever. You don't lose time. Yeah. You know, right. time doesn't disappear. That, that day is yours forever. Right. And the next day, right. you know, we don't count time consecutively we count it cumulatively yeah i love that that's wonderful i agree very much now i was looking at your blog and you talk about not hitting bottom tell me about not hitting bottom and why why that bottom stuff is bizarre well and it's interesting because i actually when i talk about when i stopped drinking i definitely hit a bottom um, but I think for the most part, we have in our minds that for it to, for, for us to actually address a problem with alcohol, we need to basically spin all the way down and, and, and hit some, some, you know, stereotypical cliched thing of I've lost my apartment, I've lost my job, I've lost, you know, and, and I'm, you know, we, we look at it as if you have to really lose things. that You can't actually start to look at drinking um, until, until it's dire. And what that ends up doing, I mean, for the most part, for, for the most part, people that, that need to start looking at their drinking, for the most part, most problem drinking occurs um, far beyond we, we start encountering any bottom activities. And not only that, there can be just simple things, like perhaps getting a DUI. I mean, maybe that's enough, you know, like whatever it is. Or maybe it's just you got drunk when you didn't want to, or maybe it's you, you blacked out and you embarrass, whatever it is, I think, like, the important thing is for there not to be this, like, idea that you have to completely be down and out in order to look at a problem. I think you get to look at it the second it starts to feel uncomfortable for you and the second it starts to weigh on you and the second it starts to be a problem for you. Um, so that's what I mean by that. And, 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 the, and the statistics show most of the problem drinking, most problem drinking occurs um, not in the in the addicted in the clinical addicted. Um, that's a small percentage of it. Most of the problem drinking occurs in the middle of the spectrum. Alcohol abuse and and all addiction mm-hmm. grows. I mean, you you abuse before you go into full blown addiction. And by by when I say full blown addiction, I mean clinical addiction, meaning uh, mid brain flip and all sorts of you know the the basic neurological um, addicted state. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. We have so much epidemiological data now. Um, you know, NIAAA has done all this research. We had the National Epidemiological Survey of Alcohol and Related Conditions. We've had three waves of it now, and we have so much research, and we know so much stuff. And we know yeah. people, can, people can change at any point. 
Um, it doesn't matter where you are on the scale. You, if you look at every, the whole population, there are people changing at any point. Yes. Yeah, and that's such an important point. Like, I love this. If, you know, the, all, of the, all of the explosion around all of the brain science and all the stuff that we've learned since the 90s going forward, you know, is that our brains are highly plastic. We're able to actually change our, change our story, change our brains at any given time, at any given time, which is just a really, and I think that's one of the more powerful parts of recovery, which is that you actually get to start rewiring your brain and, and changing, you know, you're not stuck in, in, in an incurable, always going to be this way. When you start to actually make these changes, you start to connect new synapses in the brain. You start to create uh, new networks um, and new learnings. And that, you know, that's, I mean, it's, the beauty of it is we change. And we can change at any time. It doesn't have to be at any specific point or any criteria or any road, you know, any specific road, uh, spot on the road. It can be at any time that we decide. Mm-hmm. And even when we look at the people that meet the criteria for dependence, which is what the scientists mm-hmm. use, which is what the, pop, yeah. the popular press likes to call addiction, um, we see that uh, over 90% of people with alcohol dependence will recover, and the, most of them do it without treatment. And not only do they recover, half of them are recovered by drinking moderately and half by quitting. Huh. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's fascinating. It's really, it's, it is fascinating to look at and see how each individual has a different experience with it and how everyone recovers. It's, I mean, it's as different as, as each of us are different. That's what I love about this, which is there's no one-size-fits-all in anything, and there's no one story that's like the story. I mean, everyone has a complete different pathway and a complete, and a complete set of different things that actually works for them, and that's important. Okay. I'm going to quote something from your blog. Um, we kind of talked about this, but I'm going to let you talk about it some more. Um, well, you say it's not a sad consequence. It's a proud choice. So, right. <laughs> How? I'm going to on that. Well, I mean, it's not like, like I was saying earlier, we view this, and I viewed this for so long, is I don't want to be there. I mean, I just I remember being in Mexico with one of my good friends, and it was his birthday, and he was talking about one of his friends that was coming, and, how the guy was, you know, I mean, the whole situation, the whole thing was sad. The guy was in AA and, you know, whatnot. And, and I just remember sitting there and he's telling me about this guy, like, oh, God, I don't, I just don't, I don't want that. I just, it was for me, it was drinking, to, it was a consequence, and many people do it this way, that that recovery and sobriety um, or, you know, looking at our drinking or is a consequence of not being able to control it and, 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 and being a them. And so for a really long time, I did not want to be, I did not want to be in the group of people that couldn't drink. I did not. And so, and I, because I viewed it as something that was some, something that was a consequence of, of my own inability to be able to control alcohol which is what society basically says. And what I've found and what is true which is that this is actually, first of all, that we get to decide. Like it's a choice. We get to decide. We can continue drinking or we cannot. We have a choice no matter on what we will do with our own story. And it is like a very proud choice. Like it's one of those things I think for many years people have felt shamed about. There's, you know, I mean, there's, there's a reason that we have an anonymous um, that are, you know, are, that, that, there, that there's an anonymous in the word alcoholics anonymous. I mean, there's, 
there is so much shame and stigma around this, and people don't want to have it. And and not only that, it's hidden, and we're afraid of our employers finding out, we're afraid of our friends finding out, or what people will think of us, or what it says about us. We, you know, there's a tie-in thinking that we're weak, um, and that we just can't anymore. And for me, what I've found on this side of it is that it's a really, really life choice and that I have a choice in this matter and that not only that I have a it's a very it's a very proud thing I'm very proud of what I've done I'm very proud of of what my life today um and it's easy like I've said many times in a lot of the articles that I've written which is that my life can be cut up into the life like that I have now and the life that I had before and the life that I had before it was just a slow settling and all of the work that I have done on this side in order to, for me, sobriety, in order to remove alcohol from my life, um, and, and not only that, to be happy in that life without alcohol, um, is, it's hands down, it's, it's everything that I had hoped I would actually have. Um, it's a life. It's a real life. And so, um, and I'm proud of it. Like, I am proud that I struggled the way that I did. I am, you know, I am, I, I love everything about my story. I love everything about it because it's brought me through to today. And so, so yeah, but I just, I think it's, I think it's something to be incredibly proud of. If, you know, when you are able to look at something that is taking you down and do something about it and empower yourself around it. Um, and I think there's, you know, I think, I think it's going to be so important for all of us um, you know, in the future to stand up and own it, right? And I don't think that's for everybody, but I know for me, uh, my life is infinitely better because I, because I put my faith to it and because I don't allow this to be something I'm afraid of people finding out. I own it. I own every little bit of it. And that way, by putting my story out there and sharing it, it also helps other people find what works for them, be able to look at their own issue, and then stand up themselves and say, this is what's going on with me. You know, I think our secrets, like, if this is an AA thing, but I do, I think our secrets keep us sick. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's a little different uh, for us because we work in the field. And I don't just work in the field, but I work in harm reduction, that branch of it. So, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. very proud to tell people I abstain from alcohol six days a week. On the seventh day, I buy a fifth of whiskey and I drink the whole thing, and then I'm done for the okay. week. I drink at home, I watch movies, I go to sleep, and I'm done. I never get in trouble when I don't leave the house. And that's my solution that works for me, and it's fine. You know, I can, mm-hmm. since I'm a harm reductionist, I can say that, and, you know, I can say that in front of my needle exchange buddies, and they're very happy with it. But, you know, a lot of people... <laughs> You know, uh, particularly my solution, a lot of people couldn't really be saying that uh, in their, you know, work environment, that this is their solution, (laughs) because everybody would say, oh, you are an alcoholic. You need to go to our employee assistance program immediately, and they would have, you know, their life ruined. I know. I do know. And it's not just my solution, but, you know, a lot of people get the same thing if they say that they quit. And you, you will get people say, uh, well, you're going to AA, right? And you say, no, I quit on my own. Oh, you can't quit on your own. Just <laughs> proves you're an alcoholic. You have to go to AA. Okay, send them to the employee assistance program. Put them through rehab. They quit on their own. It obviously means they're going to fail and drink themselves to death. <laughs> Uh, I know. I do know. I mean, well, that's. I mean, we've that's what we've adopted as our model, and that's what we that's what we believe. You know. You have to yeah, work. I mean, that's what, what society. Have. Go ahead. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's not what the research shows. Almost everybody that recovers does it without AA and without treatment. Almost everybody that has alcohol dependence, what the popular people like to call alcoholism, they almost all recover on their own with no treatment, no AA, none of that. They just mm-hmm. decide one yeah. day, I want to I want to change this. I don't like it anymore. Right, right. Uh, it's just so. I mean, it's it's just one of those things that we have, you know, as as our you know our, our medical system, for instance. I mean, doctors as part of their training go to twelve step programs, and ninety percent of our recovery, you know, ninety percent of treatment centers incorporate twelve step philosophy and AA. And so it is, it's just, it's the default and it is the belief that that is, I mean, it, it still is popularly held belief that that is the only way. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's that what you experience, you're exactly right. It's, it's what people believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the alternative is death. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, you know, that's why I'm just happy to be in everybody's faces and say, you know, this is a lot of crap. <laughs> Uh, and I've been doing my yeah. I've been doing I've been doing my program for thirteen years now. No, it's gonna be fourteen years now. It's twenty sixteen, isn't it? You know, well, yeah. I've been stable on this uh pattern for the past fourteen years. You know? Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So I saw you said sober is the new black. What does that mean? <laughs> Um, I think that it is, I mean, for me, this is, this is what I believe, but I do, I think that a lot of, I do believe that a lot of um, our drink centric culture, I mean, one of my favorite, one of my heroes in this space is Anne Dowsett Johnson. She's the author of drink. And one of the things that she really, mm-hmm. truly highlights is the, the pinking of the alcohol industry and, and the marketing of, and the marketing of alcohol to, to women specifically and how much we've bought into that, right? And there's, you know, there's all sorts of signs around there. There's, you know, there's mommy juice. There's the idea, like, one of my favorites is this, um, there was a poster board one of my friends sent me a while ago that says wine is to women what duct tape is to men. It fixes everything. <laughs> and, you know, when I, when I was getting towards the end of drinking, for me, it was, that was everything that I did. I mean, I would either go to my friend's wine bar and hang out or, you know, if I was ever at a social gathering, there was always alcohol involved. There were nights where I would have three happy hours in a row. You know, every dinner I did was paired with good wine. I drank good whiskey. It was just a, it was, this is what we do. And this is what, not only that, this is what the cool kids do. And I started to drink when I was 15, and I did so because that was what people did. And so we live, I lived for many years under a belief system that in order to have a life, you had to drink. And in order to have a life, in order to have a fancy, fabulous life, you had to go to the right parties and drink the right wine and drink the right whiskey or whatever it was. And so... For me, one of the bigger things that I've found on this side is that, like, it's just, I mean, my life, by the way, you know, like, you look at all these these ads, all these, you know, all this marketing that shows, you know, life is best served with a glass of good champagne, or, <laughs> and you we have all these images flowing at us that alcohol is necessary for us to have a life, and what, and my life never looks like that. It just never did. It, like, it never looked cool. It didn't, but I kept on doing it, and I kept on believing that that was where my status came from. And so what I, my life, like the actual life I had been going after is the one that came on this side of it for me, on 
my the the life I was chasing after where I actually looked good when I woke up in the morning and where I actually had my finances in order and where my apartment was clean and where I was actually, you know, having where I had the meditation practice, where I actually went to the yoga class, where I actually did all those things I had glamorized and, and thought were um necessary to have life, all those things came on the other side of this, as did the solid friendships, as did like the good community, as did so much of it. And so, you know, I think girls are sold and I speak I speak to a very, very feminine, like my demographic is pretty much women. Um, I speak to a demographic that's been sold an idea, a total bullshit idea that in order to have a life you have to fit into this this drink centric culture. I do. I mean, I'm a big city girl and, and I think, you know, you don't even have to be a big city girl, but we are we are sold this idea with our, you know, glass of cabernet in hand that this is how we do it. This is how we do it. And and so many of us don't want to give that up. And that never, it never looks like the commercial. Having it all never, ever includes <laughs> having it all, you know, while putting back a bottle of wine. And I, it just, that's not it. That's not what we, that's not, that is not where our superpower comes from. Our superpower comes from being able to deal with the things without having to numb out from it and being able to deal with life without having to run away and actually being able to show up and be proud of what it is that we're doing and not, um, and not doing shaming things, you know, like binge, I mean, binge drinking and it's just, you know, it's, it's such a cultural norm. It's such an accepted norm. And, 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 you know, it's my belief. It's, it's just destroying, it's just destroying my sisters. That's what I believe. And so I, you know, like some of my, I mean, I just, I have so many role models on this side and there's, you know, and, and all those things I wanted and was chasing, um, you know, with my, with my, you know, with my whiskey meat in hand were the things that I actually found on this side of it when I wasn't going out every night and when I wasn't forgetting all the things that I had done, losing my phone and, it's just I I I was telling one of my friends today I've had I'm about to go to the Apple store in a month and I've had my iPhone for two years now and that was I this is my tenth iPhone I used to lose it or break it like every couple of months and you know being out drunk and so it's just you know it's 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 these little things but it is you know it's, I say it's the new black and it's in in the way that it is. I believe a lot more women are starting to turn towards it, are starting to say this is bullshit. This is bullshit. We don't want to drink our way through our lives. And, yeah. Cool people mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that on this side. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, for the like the first five years that I was on my plan, I never drank moderately. I mean, I wanted to abstain or be intoxicated. And as I say, abstain mm-hmm. three days a week, be intoxicated once. Um, finally, you know, after like five years, I was at my friend's, uh, actually her mother's house, and her mother was having a dinner party, and everybody's having one glass of wine. And I said, well, one is like nothing, so I can have one because I'm not going to drink for effect. I'm just going to be act like normal and have one. And, yeah. It was like it was like nothing, so I had one stopped, and it was like, well, this is kind of nice to be sociable. So now I drink moderately in public about once a month in the appropriate mm-hmm. situation. But it's you know, moderate drinking is not something I seek out. It's like in a certain situation, it can be appropriate, but you know, it's not it's not something 
you know, I really want to do a lot of. So this is like once a yeah. month on the right occasion. So that's really the exception for me. And, you know, I, I actually when I drink, I prefer to drink alone and watch movies. And uh, yeah. I prefer most of the time not to drink at all because it's just I don't have time for that. There's too many things yeah. in life to do to spend all I that know. time with liquor. I know. Yeah, no, it's true. It is. There is. There is. It's. I don't know how I fit it in. I honestly don't know how I fit it in before. Um, I don't know how I found the time, but I, I found a lot of time <laughs> to do it. But in that, like one of the things that you know I, I talk about as well as all the stuff that I've done since I've you know with with that spare time, which is I finished two yoga, you know, in, in just the course of a couple of years, I finished two yoga trainings, started my own company. I've traveled. I'm about to go into my on my fourth trip to Italy. I'm about to go on my fourth trip to Hawaii. Um, you know, for extended periods of time in each of those places, I've, you know, I mean, I've done just, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, but I've done countless things in, with that time and specifically with all the money. Um, so it's been, you know, it's, yeah, it's time consuming. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, what I noticed was, especially, you know, looking back now, I noticed those years where I really didn't accomplish anything. <laughs> get yeah. anything done. Yeah. I managed to yeah. drink uh, three liters of whiskey every week, but uh, that was about it. What, what yeah. else did I accomplish in those years? Not a hell of a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah, I um, I was, I didn't have, I mean, my life got pretty small, Dan. Um, I was able to, I was still keeping my, I mean, I never, ever, I actually did really good in my in professionally, but everything else just got really it got you know shrunk down um, to just basically drinking and and working. Um, so I didn't do anything like in my life life. I just I didn't have a life. Um, so it's just you know for me it's been a matter of of really like actually using that time. I've probably read you know in the last couple of years I've read over two hundred books and it's just it's it's crazy what we can do with all that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I still don't have enough time. So. <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's too many things to do. You know, yeah. I just got uh, um, one of my former editors of starting a publication. He's saying, yeah, you want to write some articles for me? And I'm writing articles for two other publications right now. It's like, oh, cool. <laughs> I need more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what would you like to leave us with today? Well, I think, you know, one of the, I think the the most important thing I care to always leave everyone with is letting them know that they get to decide how their story ends and really letting, you know, I think one of the most important concepts to understand when you're dealing with, with addiction or you're dealing with abuse is that you, you get to decide what your what your path looks like. You get to decide. I mean, I think you always have to be real with yourself. I think that's one of the most important things is to honestly to always be honest with yourself and what it is that you need to do. But that you get to decide how it looks for you and how it feels for you. And that there is no one way. There's never any one way. There's never like there's never this perfect path that everyone if everyone just goes and does that and it all looks exactly the same way. It's just not. There's no way. There's 7.2 billion people in this world. There's just no way that there is a one-size-fits-all. And whatever it is that's out there is not perfect. And so I always encourage everyone, first of all, look at it. Don't waste time. Look at it. 
you know, look at whatever it is that's weighing on you because I promise you your freedom comes on the other side of actually looking at it. But as you're going through whatever it is that you're going through, remember that you get to pull from, like, all the stuff, and there is more and more and more resources and theories and information coming online every single day, and that you get to piece together whatever it is that looks right and feels right for you, you and you alone. It has to go. It has to feel good for you. It has to work for you. Um, but, you know, that's it. It's just, you know, just we all get it. We all have a say in, in what our recovery looks like. We all have a say in what our lives look like. And we all have a say in, in what works for us and what doesn't work for us. Okay. Well, I'd like to thank you for being our guest tonight, Holly Whitaker. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Thanks for having me. And everybody could just Google hip sobriety and it will come right up on top. And so you can find the blog, visit it, read some stuff. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, we will all see you next time with the next show. Don't have one scheduled yet, but we'll schedule one soon. So thank you everyone and good night. Night. Thank you.